Well, our scripture reading this morning is from Luke chapter 13, Luke 13, verse 10. God's word says to us, Now he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath, and behold, there was a woman who had had a disabling spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not fully straighten herself. When Jesus saw her, he called over and said to her, Woman, you are freed from your disability. And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight, and she glorified God. But the ruler of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus has healed on the Sabbath, said to the people, There are six days in which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be healed, and not on the Sabbath day. Then the Lord answered him, You hypocrites! Does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it away to water it? And ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan bound for eighteen years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day? As he said these things, all his adversaries were put to shame, and all the people rejoiced at all the glorious things that were done by him. May God bless the reading and hearing of his holy word. Perhaps uh, you, like Jesus and this woman, uh, who was healed in the synagogue in the account before us, perhaps you have uh, encountered jerks at church, because that's exactly what this ruler of the synagogue is. What a jerk! That he is upset that Jesus has healed this woman who has had this malady for 18 years, and he is filled with with his indignant rage at Christ and with this woman for some odd reason. Why? Why would people behave in such a, a manner when something so wonderful has happened? Well, I hope today as we think about this passage that we can understand a bit better why sometimes people can be jerks at church or in their lives. I know because I have been one. Well, the account before us here exhibits two vastly different qualities which I want you to notice. First, we should notice the mercy of Christ on display here and His power. And then notice the hard-heartedness and the impotence of the ruler of the synagogue and those who were aligned with Him. As we meditate on each one of these, I'll be drawing out some points of application but first, notice the mercy of Christ towards this suffering woman. I want you to picture the scene in your mind. Jesus is teaching in the synagogue as you see him doing from time to time as you read through the Gospels. This is the last recorded time that Jesus taught in a synagogue. And to teach in the synagogue, he would have had to have been invited to teach by the ruler of the synagogue, the fellow mentioned here, and the other elders who were over that synagogue. It would have been just like the elders here at our church, uh, proving a guest preacher. So Jesus is teaching, the people gathered there, and in walks a woman. In the original, you get the sense of interruption between verses 10 and 11. Verse 10 indicates that Jesus was teaching. And then verse, literal, verse 11 literally says, And behold, 
a woman having a disabling spirit 18 years. Look, a woman appears. She appears, apparently arriving late after the service has already started. Well, this woman was suffering from what must have been a spinal malady that caused her to be bent over, unable to straighten up. The word bent over in the Greek means bent doubled. I doubt that she was literally bent over double. She wouldn't be able to walk if that were the case. But she was extremely bent over and stuck in that position. She couldn't straighten up. And perhaps that was why she had arrived late. You could imagine. It would have been very difficult for her to get around and possibly painful as well. Well, the text says that she had a disabling spirit. And Jesus says in verse 16 that Satan had bound her for 18 years. Now, this does not mean that that she was possessed by Satan or by a demon. But Jesus, uh, and then notice that Jesus refers to her as a daughter of Abraham, which means more than simply that she was Jewish. I think uh, Jesus means that she was pious and she shared the faith of Abraham. Notice that she had come to synagogue to worship. Not like a demon-possessed person would probably do. She was much like Job. I think we can believe it, uh, understand it this way. She was much like Job in that she was suffering, not from consequences of something she had done, but rather she was suffering from Satan's malice toward one of the Lord's people. She was being oppressed. And it was almost as if Satan made her so bent over, she's looking down at the ground as if Satan were trying to pull her down to hell. Well, that doesn't stop her from going to worship at the synagogue. And it's a good encouragement to us this morning. Perhaps you are suffering today physically, emotionally, spiritually. Well, don't ever let that discourage you from seeking and following the Lord. Keep coming to Jesus like this woman did. One day he will free you from whatever binds you, just as he did this woman. Now, I don't know when, and it might not be like this woman experienced here on earth. It may be when the Lord returns and ushers in the new heavens and new earth and we get glorified bodies. But all of our troubles, and many people have deep, difficult troubles. I'm not dismissing that, but... All of our troubles are light and momentary when compared to the eternal weight of glory. Let that fuel your hope and, and keep your eyes on Christ. So this daughter of Abraham totters into worship to hear Jesus. And when Jesus hears her, he immediately stops teaching. He interrupts the service and summons the woman and said to her, Woman, you are freed from your disability. And he laid his hands on her and immediately she was made straight and she glorified God. Could you imagine being there and listening to Jesus? That would have been a wonderful experience because Jesus would have been perfectly engaging. I mean, he was perfect in every way. And, and, in, and the Bible notes repeatedly that he, they were always astounded by his teaching because he taught as one with authority. And, and 
the congregation would have been listening with rapt attention to his words. But all of a sudden, Jesus stops. He sees this woman and stops. And he addresses her. It probably felt a bit awkward there in the synagogue that day. But you see what Jesus is doing here. He leaves the 99 for the one struggling sheep. And it's exactly what Jesus said He came to do. Remember when He uh, began His ministry, He goes into the synagogue and He picks up the scroll of Isaiah and He reads these words, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted and to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that He may be glorified. That's exactly what Jesus did for this woman. He freed her from her bonds, and He wrapped her in a garment of praise. When Jesus called her, she responded. She came to Jesus when He summoned her. Well, that begs the questions for all of us here today and all who are listening to us. Have you come to Jesus? Have you responded when Jesus has called? Are you poor, broken-hearted, bound by sin? Well, Jesus can save you. He is merciful and powerful to save. And this is the good news that Jesus brought. And the word good news is the word gospel. The gospel of Jesus Are you glad in the Lord today? Are you wrapped in a garment of praise? If you're not, then come to Jesus like this woman did. The last verse says that all the people rejoiced at all the glorious things that were done by Him. What a a joyful scene it would have been. She'd been 18 years with this malady. She would have been known by all those people. She's obviously a regular at the synagogue. And they're rejoicing that she has been healed. When someone turns to Jesus for salvation, His people rejoice. And even the angels rejoice. Luke 15, 10 says, Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. So it was a joyful scene, almost completely, except for the jerks. In the synagogue on that day, when Jesus healed this woman, when He showed her mercy and kindness and grace, there were some people who were not rejoicing. Can you imagine that? Now this is the second thing I want you to notice from this passage. Notice the hard-heartedness and impotence of the religious leader. So everybody's rejoicing over the healing of this woman, except this ruler of the synagogue and those who agreed with Him. This man is indignant because of what Jesus does. But he doesn't have the courage to address Jesus. He doesn't address Jesus directly. He just addresses the whole crowd. And it's one of those remarks that 
that are not directed at anyone specifically, but everyone knows who's being addressed. Look at verse 14. The ruler of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, said to the people, There are six days in which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be healed, and not on the Sabbath day. Well, first of all, he's rebuking Jesus because he healed on the Sabbath. However, there's no law in the Old Testament that says you can't heal on the Sabbath. The law didn't forbid that. Especially a healing of the, of the nature of this one. A supernatural, immediate healing. All Jesus did was declare that she was healed and he laid his hands on her. It wasn't forbidden to touch others on the Sabbath. Of course, they weren't in the middle of a pandemic. But he's rebuking Jesus. And he's also rebuking this woman. He says that she came to get healed on the Sabbath. Well, there's no indication that this woman came to the synagogue to be healed. She showed up. This was probably her custom. Perhaps she came because she did hear that Jesus was there. But I doubt that she was expecting that she would be healed after being so long under this affliction. So, this religious leader is hard-hearted and cold and indignant. But Jesus rebukes him right back. And those who aligned with him, You hypocrites, does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it away to water it? And ought not this woman, the daughter of Abraham, whom Satan bound for 18 years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day? See, the law made provisions for the care of animals on the Sabbath. Of course, you should treat animals kindly. They're God's creation, God's blessing to us. You could untie your animal and lead it to a watering trough for its relief. The untying is the act in question. You know, untying the rope or cord, whatever was holding the animal, would have been considered work. But it was work that was allowed on the Sabbath. It was an act of mercy towards the animals to give the animal water. Jesus makes a play on words here. The word untying, as in untying your ox or donkey, has the same root as the word loosed, as in ought not this woman be loosed from, his, from this bond on the Sabbath day? Ought not this woman be untied from this bond on the Sabbath day? See, the argument Jesus is making is a how much more argument. If you have mercy on your ox or, or donkey by untying it so it can get water on the Sabbath, how much more should this woman be loose from this terrible bond that she was in on the Sabbath? No one can argue with him. It tells us that his, his adversaries were put to shame. But, sadly, it is doubtful that they changed one bit. They refused to repent of their ways and come to Jesus. They refused to accept and believe in Him. It is not a mistake that this healing account comes right after Jesus warning about bearing the fruit of repentance. If you look back a few verses, you'll see that there. Uh, there is Jesus warning them that everyone needs to repent. Some people m- might be considered worse than others, but 
everyone needs to repent. We're all sinners. And he tells that parable of the fig tree, that the fig tree was not producing the fruit, but he's patient with the fig tree, digs a trough around it, puts on some fertilizer. Maybe next year it will give fruit. It's a warning to these people. You should repent. Well, look over at the beginning of chapter 14. There's something parallel here. One Sabbath, when he went to dine at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees, they were watching him carefully. And behold, there was a man before him who had dropsy. Dropsy is edema. It's a retaining fluid. Perhaps he uh, was suffering from congestive heart failure. And Jesus responded to the lawyers and Pharisees saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. Then he took him and healed him and sent him away. And he said to them, Which of you having a son or an ox that has fallen into a well on the Sabbath day will not immediately pull him out? And they could not reply to these things. Now if you back up a couple of verses from this one, from this account, which is Almost exactly the same, same scenario, same argument. Sounds very familiar. You back up to verse 34 of chapter 13, the preceding thought in Luke's account. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. Behold, your house is forsaken. And I tell you, you will not see me until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. See? They were not willing to repent and come to Jesus. And you see the same scenario played out in chapter 14 that's played out early in chapter 13. Whereas they were warned to repent earlier in chapter 13, before chapter 14, they, they, have utterly, they are utterly forsaken They were not willing. Christ is moaning and and lamenting the fact that He longs to gather them in and, and to show mercy on them, but they won't have anything to do with it. They were not willing to repent and turn to Jesus. They persisted in their unbelief in Jesus. And the flip side of that, the flip side of that persistence in unbelief is a persistent trust in their own works. They held to a works righteousness. That by following the rules, leading a moral life, being involved in religious activities, they would be saved in the end. They would earn their salvation by their works. And we need to take note of this. Because we are all tempted to fall into this works righteousness trap. And I'll tell you what it does to you. It makes you a jerk. Last weekend, May 17th, marked a spiritual milestone in my life. Forty years ago, last weekend, the trajectory of my life changed at a special youth event my church was having. I immediately, when I I came to the Lord, I asked the Lord to forgive me for my sins and to save me. Uh, I immediately felt like a great burden was lifted off me. And it was very emotional. I was just so light and joyful and excited. I felt like this woman must have felt when Jesus healed her. However, it was not long before I 
stopped looking like the healed daughter of Abraham and began to resemble the ruler of the synagogue. I became very religious and moral. Not, not a bad thing. But it was a facade. Because I continued to struggle with my sins. But I was, I was, my, my effort was to try to earn favor with God. To, to earn His acceptance by my goodness. I had that mindset that I needed to be good so God wouldn't be mad at me. I was believing that my obedience was what dictated my acceptance from the Lord. I was motivated by a fear of punishment and insecurity because, like everybody else, I wasn't perfect. Now, when I was being good and being successful at being righteous, I, I felt good about myself, and, and I looked down on everyone else who wasn't doing as well as I was, kind of like this synagogue ruler. Well, uh, when I fell short, I became miserable and distressed, and became an even worse hypocrite. I didn't want anybody to see what I was really like. See, what was happening, I was confusing the good news of Jesus. I'm not sure I fully understood the gospel, the good news of Jesus. I was limited in my understanding of it. I was confusing that good news of Jesus, the gospel, with works righteousness. See, the good news of Jesus is that He came to us to provide salvation by His work. The woman is kind of a picture of it. She, she was there at synagogue, but she didn't ask to be healed. She didn't, she didn't say anything. She just walked in, and Jesus reached out to her. Jesus called her, and she responded to that call. It was completely by grace. See, the good news is that Jesus came to provide salvation by His work, His perfect life, His sacrificial death, His resurrection from the dead, to new life, credits to us by grace through faith. It is a free gift that He has given to us. It is to be received by faith. We run to Him for salvation. And our obedience flows from our acceptance in Christ. Our rejoicing in salvation, like this woman would have rejoiced that Jesus had been saved, motivates us to love and serve Him and others. Can you imagine what this woman's life was like afterwards? Now that she was standing up, I'm sure she followed Jesus wherever He went and loved Jesus and listened to Him and sought to put His teaching into practice in her life. See, these religious leaders never got that. They were hard-hearted. The path that they were promoting of good works and religiosity was impotent to change lives. Your life will not be changed just by following a set of rules and being a good moral person. That's not life transforming. But the gospel is the power of God for salvation. It changes people. It's powerful. And of course... Being a works righteousness proponent makes you look down on others, as we see in the account, as I'm sure we've seen in our own lives, just like my example. Well, the question we should ask ourselves, does your life resemble the woman who was graciously healed by Jesus, or do you resemble the ruler of the synagogue? 
Now, obviously, we can examine it. We should all examine ourselves because we're all, we all have a propensity to fall into a works righteousness mindset. But one question that you can ask yourself, that I will ask you in a moment, one question that you can ask yourself, which will really take the temperature of your spiritual life, is this question. Is your life marked by joy in the Lord? Where's your joy? The Galatians are a great example of people who followed the Lord, embraced the gospel, but then they fell into a works righteousness mindset. They thought, I've got to keep the law in order to earn salvation. I've got to be moral and good and do all these things so God will like me. And Paul writes a letter to them, and it is urgent. I mean, he gives them a very brief greeting in the first few verses of that letter, and then he jumps in. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ by saying it's by works. And through all the argument, he comes to this question in Galatians 4.15. What has become of your joy? What has become of your joy? That's a great question for us to ask ourselves today. What has become of your joy? Are you rejoicing in the Lord? Are you covered with the garments of praise? And are you rejoicing in the salvation that He has graciously given to you? Or are you burdened by your own works righteousness, failure to measure up, well, run to Jesus. Hear His call, and He will show mercy, and He will transform your life by the power of His Holy Spirit. Thanks be to God for such a wonderful Savior. A wonderful Savior is Jesus our Lord. Let's pray together. Lord, we recognize that there is a ruler of the synagogue in all of us, a Pharisee in all of us, we have a tendency to think that we are better than we are and better than others. Lord, we depend upon our own works to make us feel justified before you. Forgive us for that. I pray, Lord, that all of us would run to Jesus, that we would come to him in our weakness and our fear, remembering that Jesus came to us Son of God took on human flesh and came to earth to lay down His life so that we might be forgiven and freed from the power of sin and that we might experience new life forever. Lord, we pray that we would not be proud, but that we would humble ourselves before You, that You would help us to repent and put our trust in Jesus. Lord, we pray that You would help us to bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And Lord, we pray that You would clothe us with a garment of joy and salvation. We pray that You would help us to rejoice in the Lord always. And Father, we thank You for the grace and mercy that You have shown us in our Savior, Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen.